Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to Cop On. This is coming at you live on YouTube. This may be tickling your auricles and the podcast audio version out there on the audio stream. But welcome, whoever you are, wherever you are to this. I'm delighted uh, to be joined by Reese. Uh, the, the Devil's Rising, at Devil's Rising, Devil's underscore Rising, where the ones in the rising, the eyes are ones. Uh, I, I I don't know. You have to look it up. I'll, I'll put it in the description if you've got the audio version. Um, Reese, a Manchester United fan, a lifelong Man United fan, uh, Big Ralph is on his way. How are you feeling? Wreck-It Ralph done properly. <laughs> <laughs> I um, first of all, thanks for having me on, my friend. It's good. It's good to speak to you after a little while. Um, I'm absolutely buzzing. Like it's, I didn't. I knew United were going to make an interim decision. Like there was a fair few managers linked. Valverde was linked. Garcia, Lucien Favre, like, like they they were linked. But the one that was linked is the man that I've wanted all along. I've wanted Ralph Rangnick when he got linked a couple of years ago because I, I follow German football. He's a man that I greatly admire. And I'm just glad that I don't care that Chelsea has Tuchel. I don't care Southampton has Hasenhutl. I definitely don't care Liverpool has Jurgen Klopp. We've got the god of gig impressing. I'm happy with that. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, think it, I think it's a fantastic decision, fantastic appointment. And now we push on and... We see where it goes from here, but I'm I'm absolutely buzzed over them, man. It's really interesting stuff. Great answer, thank you, Reese. Um, I'm delighted that Abdul is with us as well. Abdul, um, Ralph Rangnick, just to give you a couple of uh, a couple of um, facts about him. Um, Ralph, he, he he is joining probably from for, as a the sporting director at Locomotive Moscow. He was only appointed on July the sixth. Uh, and before that, he was at Leipzig, well, the Red Bull franchise. So, so Red Bull's New York, RB Salzburg, RB Leipzig, RB Bragantino, uh, wherever that is, uh, Brazil, isn't it? And then Leipzig before that, he was actually the manager of Leipzig um, before that. Um, uh, I think he's Oh, yeah, sorry, this happens. It's my freaking internet. It's been working beautifully <laughs> until now, of course, which is which is when I need it to work. Um, there you go. Uh, anyway, I was gibbering and jabbering on a, uh, a lot, Abdul. Um, basically, what do you think about Ralph Rangnick as a fellow Liverpool fan? Is he giving you the heebie-jeebies or has Kloppo got his number? I think... Uh... I think it's an excellent move for United. First of all, got to say, you know, kudos to United fans who are very, very happy right now. I'm sure, you know, I think it's well-deserved. All of the managers have been linked to United. Um, I think Gary Neville's been saying it, you know, when, when Oli was getting the criticism, you know, United have done the big name manager thing. They've done it with Mourinho. They've done it with Van Gaal. So when it came around to the choice of who to replace Oli, you know, you had your names like Zidane banded about. You had your Luis Enrique's. Antonio Conte before he went to Spurs, like all of these big name signings. But like Gary Neville said, you know, United have done that before and it hasn't necessarily produced the results. So I think for the first time, a long time, whoever's, you know, above, uh, up in the boardroom at, at Manchester United has really kind of made an objective decision and said, all right, we've done a big manager thing, but what we really need now is, you know, somebody who has structure and uh, can bring footballing, uh, you know, expertise to the table. 
um, beyond just being a top quality coach, like really need to pretty much buy, um, like buy in like a whole club structure. And I think Ralph Ragnick does that. I don't think he's actually the best possible coach that they could have got. I don't think in the short term for these next six months, he's going to have like the biggest impact and like they're going to see like mad results and massive uptick in form. I don't know if he's like a coach coach like that because obviously his career over the last 10 years, he's like jumped between director of football and managerial roles. So I don't know if he's like the best possible coach. I think that would have been Luis Enrique, but I think Ralph Ragnick for the long term, well, the medium to long term, he's, he's the absolute right choice for United. Great answer. Yeah. So his last managerial role um, was uh, 52 games in the season 1819 uh, at Leipzig. Um, very good. Uh, Tom's with us. Tom, Tom, the journalist at Tom Journalist One. Really nice of you to join us, Tom. Um, uh, I muted your mic in case you were going to come in and start, you know, screaming uh, into this thing because uh, you must be <laughs> excited about Ralph Rangnick. How, how do you feel? Well, I mean, I'm sure Reese has probably already given you the rundown in five minutes. You know, he's probably got a big, a big fanboy of Ragnar. But in, ter- in terms of German football, honestly, I think he's one of the most experienced people you can get. If you if you want somebody knowledgeable in the game with how to run a football club or anything to do with football on the field or off of it, Ralph Ragnick, somebody who I would want to advise me or in a way guide my managerial career. If I'm an up-and-coming coach, whatever, he's a good person to learn off of or admire from. Thomas Tuchel's done it, Hansi Fleck's done it and Jürgen Klopp have all done it. They've all, in a way, had an understood role to him, or he's passed down ideas to them, i.e. the Gengen press, i.e. playing from the front foot, your first line of defence is your front three. And all of those three managers have got one thing in common. In the last 10 years, all three of those managers have gone on to win Champions Leagues. That, that cannot be a coincidence in, in, how, in how good his systems must be or advisory roles. In terms of coaching, I think with the players that we have right now, I think the likes of Sancho, the likes of Donny van der Beek, who are so low on confidence because they've not had the game time at the club. Sancho did brilliantly out over in Dortmund. It'll be used to this style of football that Ragnick will implement on this team. And anybody who wants to talk about controlling a dressing room, any player who's in a dressing room with someone like Ragnick who's got the experience, they will want to learn from him. It depends, it's up to them if they want to listen. But if they want to learn or they want to improve, I think in terms of improving players whose confidences might be really, really low, like the likes of Donny van der Beek to the point of where they think about leaving, I think he's a person who can come in, develop these players, improve them, and then change their minds. And in terms of going forward for the rest of the season, I like the idea of this six-month roll to the end of the season. In a way, steady the ship, because that's what we need at the moment. When I think the t- anything out of the reach of going for a title or anything, that's you know that ship's sailed or anything. Just try and persevere and secure the top four. You know, listen, maybe have a go in, in the FA Cup or something. I have a decent run. I'm not saying win the Champions League, but have a decent run in the Champions League, maybe a quarterfinals or something. Semi-finals wouldn't be, wouldn't be too bad in the in the short term or the long run. And just see, see how we go. But then at the end of the season, with the idea of moving him upstairs and do the, a directorship role or a, an adversary role, from what I've been told, he's in a way, going to be overseeing what Darren Fletcher and John Mercho do on the director of football kind of things, so a bit of a managing director, that sort of role, which I think is brilliant and will probably suit him to the ground for 
the experience, the background that he's that he's got. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a brilliant overview. Thank you so much, Tom. Um, it's I don't know. I mean, a, a few quotes in the from the Guardian archive uh, article that they put up. Um, he said, uh, for example, can I be somebody who can influence areas of development across the whole club? If not, you're only getting half of what I'm capable of. But if after that, you can work together in a trustworthy and respectful way, then you are more likely to be successful. Now, this gives me hope, Reese, as a Liverpool fan, because he says, can you work together in a trustworthy and respectful way with all of your colleagues? And he's still got some nincompoops all around him, doesn't he? And also, is Ronaldo going to run now? Is he actually going to press for the first time in many years? I don't think Ronaldo's going to change. First and foremost, I don't think Ronaldo's going to change, but what you will see is... In terms of like what he showed against Villarreal, for example, Ronaldo's pressing around the box area is second to none. When he when he gets the ball in front of him at the box, he's going to go for it, and and he will he will attack a defence. I think the benefit from getting Ryan Nick in in terms of coaching is the fact that the team's going to press properly. So you're going to have at least eight or nine players behind Ronaldo pressing around on being effective. It gives the space for Ronaldo to move into tight areas where the defence is going to drag them, let the, let the team just push up aggressively, and it's going to allow United to attack better. And I think that's the problem, is United didn't have that identity of attacking teams properly, didn't press well, didn't, in fact, I go one further, United didn't press at all, didn't even know what a press was. You're getting somebody who actually knows what pressing is and somebody who is well aware how it works. So... I think Ronaldo necessarily won't change his game, but the team around him is going to change and that will benefit not only him more, but it'll benefit the team. And the fact that he's actually came out and openly said capability, you're getting half of that, shows how effective he is in his own mindset of what he's done at other jobs and other roles. He knows how good he is. He knows he can make a long-term vision count and it's been effective at other clubs. He clearly knows he can do it at United. And I think that's why the fact he's came out and said only half of my capabilities is why, in my opinion, he is the right man for the job. Yeah, he certainly backs himself. There you go. Um, yeah, uh, you know, you're only getting half of what I'm capable of if you only give me half of the club to change. So I don't know. Um, it's very interesting. It's really interesting, especially I think it's quite a good um, appointment for Liverpool, Abdul, because of this. And I'll put this up on the screen. Um, the, the next game on the weekend is the last game of the weekend. It's Chelsea versus Manchester United. Um, I believe it's a 5.30 kickoff on Sunday. Um, Chelsea-Man United. In terms of that game, Abdul, can you see the new manager bounce in a way? Can you see this appointment just coming in, galvanising the players? And at last, at last, Tommy Ball will be scuppered? Or is it going to be business as usual uh, you know, Chelsea will keep a clean sheet, attack and, you know, fluke a goal or two and they're going to win pretty easily. I mean, I don't know if Ragnick's even in the building yet. He, I, I, doubt, I doubt he'll probably work take Work permit from Russia. Work permit from yeah. Russia. So it'll be Carrick. Ah, okay, yeah, definitely Carrick. Okay. It'll be in for the yeah. Arsenal game though. Okay, yeah. all right. Okay, way, so it's a bit I, I, too late. So in that case, United have got no chance for this game, have they, Abdul? Yeah, pretty much. At, at Chelsea away, Chelsea in top four. <laughs> I mean, they suffered a pretty devastating injury to Chilwell, but 
they should have enough in the bank to to roll over United. But saying that, I mean, um, United are in a bit of you know bit of a bounce with Carrick after the performance midweek, so maybe they'll be able to um, show something. Maybe the players will want to prove something to the new manager coming in. Um, I, I don't know. I think uh, yeah, like I think one thing that's really uh, uh, interesting about the Ragnik thing is United got rid of Oli, but just Oli. Everybody was saying they needed to get rid of the entire team and the friend club, and you know, get rid of it. It goes all the way to the top. Get rid of Phelan, Fletcher, everything. But all of them stayed. Kieran McKenna stayed, and also Ragnik. He's left his entire team at Lokomotiv Moscow. He's the only one who's coming to United. So it's kind of like they're just inserting Ragnik into the setup that's already there. And I think primarily the main benefit of Ragnik is just going to be on the training ground. He's just literally going to turn up on day one. He's going to be like, what training drills do we do? Okay, they're all rubbish. Let's scrap them. This is what we're going to do now. And talking about the whole pressing thing, I just wanted to say quickly, um, I think modern football fans, like we get a bit too obsessed with these new terms when they, when they um, become big, like this whole pressing thing. I think ultimately, at the end of the day, football is about time and space. And Ronaldo, yeah, he's 36 years old. He's not going to press like a Mohamed Salah or, or Sadio Mane, but he can still use time and space really effectively because he has the football experience and the intelligence to know how to best use his skills on the football pitch. Ragnik just has to set up around that um, and take full advantage of that. So I don't think there's there's much of an issue around Ronaldo. I know that people are saying like, oh, yeah, it's, a, it's Ronaldo's actually a terrible signing and stuff like that. But it's kind of like a bit of both. I don't think he's going to be totally useless for Ragnik. Um, but yeah, going forward, I think they do need to think about a solution for him going forward. But they might even have it already in the squad because they already have so much firepower. But yeah, exciting times for United fans. Very interesting stuff. And hi to Ossie in the chat, Ossie Pertin. Um, I'm going to get to your question in a minute. It's a really, really good question. But uh, I'm just going to focus on the game for the moment because it's interesting. Abdul was talking about the, the pressing game, Tom. And the... Um, the way, I mean, I contacted Josh, who Reese knows very well. He's a, he's a great guy, Chelsea fan. And I, I asked him in a sort of DM, I slipped into his DM or slid into his DM or, you know, car crashed into his DMs, whatever the uh, <laughs> expression is these days. And uh, I asked him, if you were to set up against Chelsea to win the game, how would you do it? And he said, for him, the best way would be to target Jorginho and Kante, just to basically stop them from being able to dictate as much by pressing them and then pressing high up the pitch when they're forced to play sideways or backwards, just to press that you press the bejesus out of their defensive midfielders. Um, how do you think this game is going to be won, uh, Tom? In the midfield. I'll keep it very simple. It'll be one in the midfield. Whoever dictates that midfield, it doesn't matter who you've got at the back or you've got in in front, because on any given day, anybody can score. Anybody can score from a free from a free kick or a set piece. And anybody on either side of the attacking teams on the day, if it's Rashford, Ronaldo, or whoever from Man United, or it's Werner, Lukaku, Mount, whoever from Chelsea, turn up on the day. They can easily slide a couple of goals in or whatever in. Put, put the ball in their favour or whatnot. But simplistically, whoever gets the better duel in the midfield, and what I mean, whoever dictates the ball, controls the game, and that's why I think, ultimately for us, we need to revert to a three-man midfield. I would play Matic probably... 
I would play Van der Beek. I'd play Matic, Van der Beek, and I don't know Adam McTominay or Fred. Maybe Fred because he had a decent performance against Villarreal. But you need people who are going to, like you've said, run it, Jorginho and Kante. I wouldn't necessarily say stop them, but in a way, just cut off the passing lanes into the forward areas. You don't have to press them necessarily. Just make it so so they can't pass through you. And I think that that ultimately is just going to draw them to go out wide anyway. We've already established with Chilwell's injury, so that's realistically the left-hand side shut down because Marcus Alonso, he's got no legs, bless him. I can't really see him doing much on that side. If, if he's got no legs in, Wembersaka's on him like a rash if he gets top form for that game. And possibly on the other side, Reese James has obviously been doing very well. I can definitely relate to, to him. I think realistically he puts himself on the list for Chelsea number one, you know, number one right back and possibly even pushing there for England along with Trent. The, the lads' games come on leaps and bounds, and I don't, I don't think a lot of people hate me for saying that. I think he's probably the more complete defender out of him and Trent because going forward, he couldn't do. No, 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 no. No, go for it. You're welcome to your opinion. Carry on. Yeah, Defen- uh-huh. yeah, yeah, I know. De- def- defensively, I just think he's a lot more all round than than Trent, and he's got the game going forward as well if he plays the wing back role. That's the only reason why I'd probably say. He's preferred in terms of his form right now. I know Trent, brilliant player as well. But I think with Reese James as well, is a treasure to have for, I think, a lot of coaches. And I think, ultimately, in Klopp's eyes, if he didn't have Trent Alexander, the Arnold there, Reese James is the sort of defender that he would probably want, maybe as a backup yeah. or whatever, or in his place. But, yeah, whoever dictates the ball in the midfield, you know, whoever controls it with the sort of players in there, whether that's Jorginho and Kante or... That's why I'm saying put a free man midfield in there. You've got the extra extra man in the midfield as well to dictate the the ball, the game, the pace of the game. And if you shut those passing lanes down in the middle of the park, Chelsea like to do a lot of their, you know, creativeness and their amazing football through the middle of the park. So if you cut those passing lanes out and force them out wide, there's a lot I would say less risk of them doing anything in the game. They will do they will get chances and stuff, but if David De Gea was in top form, I'd probably expect him to make some some big saves for us. And and then you know you, we've got Ronaldo in the team. I'm not using it to big it up or anything, but when you've got Ronaldo, there's always a chance. There's always that one chance he'll get in a game, and it just depends if he's on form on that day and he takes it. Okay, yeah, I mean that that that's an excellent answer. That is how how you could win. Uh, just to poo poo your defensive things because you said uh, you know Reese James, his tackling percentage percentage this season percentage wise, he hasn't played all the games, of course, is forty four percent. So he wins forty four percent of his tackles, whereas Trent wins forty five. So there you go. In terms of tackles, wow. one, one percent. tackle percentage. Exactly. So it basically, Trent's better. I'm holding on to it. And I think it's what, uh, clear proof. What, Trent's got a better hairstyle? Is, is, that where, is that where we're going now? He's got a better oh, hairstyle. Oh, no, 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 so no. The pure facts. The pure facts that I cherry pick <laughs> to make Trent a better defender. No, I honestly think that Trent is actually a brilliant defender, but he plays, uh, plays really high up the pitch. So, mm. of course, there's loads of space behind him. But it suits uh, your team. And it suits our team. I wouldn't change him for the world. And his form has been unbelievable, unbelievable. But uh, Ozzy's put in a, a really good uh, question in the chat. Um, who would you rather have, Reese uh, Rangnick or Pochettino? Or I imagine maybe both Rangnick as sporting director and Poch as manager. I don't know. What do you think? 
I think in terms of manager, I'd rather have I'd rather have Rangnick. But in terms of a long term long term solution, I would I would want Pochettino purely under Rangnick. I think that's a good combination. I think I think just Pochettino in his own at the minute he would work, but I don't know how how effective he would be purely because who we've got above him is a disaster class. So I think it purely comes down to that. But if Pochettino was available, then necessarily you would get him, but he isn't. That's why I still think you get the smarter football decision, which is why you get Rangnick in now. That's why I still prefer Rangnick. Great answer. And what what did you think of Tom's team? What would you play? You know, How would you set up against Chelsea? I don't necessarily disagree, really. I think pretty much nailed spot on. Like Pretty much the same midfield three, similar to what we played against Villarreal. I assume Tom's keeping Fernandes on the bench by the sounds of it. Um, I think necessarily the game is one in the midfield. I think we do need the bodies in midfield. Fernandez, I'd, I'd fantastic... play Diamond Reese. That's why smart I would, move. I would, I would fit Fernandez in there. Yeah, I think, I think this is a game where Fernandez' energy is important in terms of like tracking back is what he does really well. He gets back into positions to help his team out. I think, but I think in this game necessarily against Chelsea, you could keep him just slightly ahead of the midfield too. Whoever plays in Chelsea's midfield. And just keep him in front because they'll, they'll be focused on him trying to keep him out of the game, which is what a lot of t- opposition have done lately. They've tried to keep Fernandez out of games, hence why, like, in effect, in terms of goal numbers, but his assist records is impressive because he's still finding positions where he can get the ball in. I think having a midfield behind him, like three-man midfield of like, I would probably go, I would go Matic, Van de Beek, and Fred behind Bruno Fernandez personally. I would go those three, and I would just allow them just to bully. It's not going to be easy enough, funnily enough, but anyway, you can bully Kante and Jorginho or Kovacic if he plays. End of the day, I do agree with I do agree with Tom. It's all about whoever wins the midfield battle will win this game because that's the core strength. Their, their midfield is better than ours, but I think if you really had to force our, our midfield to play better, like in a in a must win situation, they do turn up in those games where they really have to win. So I would put on that limelight. It comes down to the midfield battle. I think defensively, we're about, I'd say we're a little bit even in terms of personnel. They're just coached better. But the midfield, definitely for me, is where it's won. I think I think we would potentially outscore because we've got better forward players. But the midfield, I think that's the only play I'd really be concerned about. If we lose that midfield battle, then the game's Chelsea's. Interesting stuff. Um, yeah, it's great. I can see all of that happening, but... Mm-hmm. There's something that I don't think people are talking about enough in general in the conversation of the Premier League this this year. And it's something that I find mind-blowing, really. Abdul, um, going to you on this, the, the um, uh, save percentages okay, of goalkeepers all around Europe, oh, um, no. have you seen it? Because it's nuts. If you look in the top five leagues of, you know, shots faced, for example, you know, um, let's look at De Gea versus... So De Gea um, and Henderson combined have have faced 54 shots, okay? Manchester United, and and 34 of those 54 shots have been saved, which is 61% save percentage. Save percentage is not everything that a goalkeeper does, of course, far from it, but it's a key stat. I think like if you've got a keeper with a high save percentage, so give you, give you a couple of others. Um, uh, Ed Edison at Manchester city, 73.7% of, 
um, Arsenal, you know, everyone's uh, raving about Ramsdale. He's only at 69.6%, whereas Alison Becker's at 70.3%. Edouard Mendy, sorry, the best, the second best in Europe is 82 point something percent, 82.5%, say. Edouard Mendy, Abdul, is on 94.1%. That's to say he's faced 34 shots only, which is very low because Chelsea's defence has been completely miserly. And he saved 31 out of 34 shots. Abdul, that's crazy good. Talk to me about, you know, Chelsea and Mendy. How, how can you get past the guy? I really don't know. It's 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 a mad number to think about. I know that he's been in some kind of ridiculous form, like ridiculously confident. Um, I think that's literally it. I, I would love to sit down with John Ashterberg because uh, I, I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he's a Liverpool goalkeeping coach um, who got a lot of flack probably at the beginning of this decade. We, we all pinned our goalkeeper troubles on him, Mignolet, Carius, whatever. But Klopp has always come out um, resoundingly like, Ashterberg is definitely the best, you know, one of the best goalkeeping coaches in the world. And apparently the guy is just obsessed with goalkeeping. Like he could, you could be talking about anything. You could be talking about plants or sheep and he'll turn it into a conversation about goalkeeping. So um, I'd love to ask him about what he thinks about Edouard Mendy, but I have this kind of theory about goalkeeping. I think it's like, um, like such a, like you have to be a madman, obviously, to be a goalkeeper. You have yeah. to have ultra confidence. And I think what, Edmond Mendy's got right now, he's just radiating confidence. And that that entire Chelsea backline as well, the experience of Thiago Silva, Rudiger's form at the moment, Aspilqueta, you know, some of the best, he's not even playing right now, but, you know, just before when he was playing, he was like in good goal scoring form for both club and country. You know, they've got all of these top, top quality players playing at their peak. And Edouard Mendy is there as well, adding in. And I think that's possibly why. I think I think players who are taking shots against that Chelsea defence, they're already taking a shot with a bit of hesitancy, like, oh, you know, probably going to be saved or it's going to get blocked or something like that. And it's kind of creating more situations where he is just making a save. But then the situations where, like, he does, he is needed for, like, a big save, he's still coming through. So I don't know. It's just abnormal. But I think it's just, like, um, a consequence of just gains from, you know, every other aspect of Chelsea's game. I think Chelsea are just such a dominant team. When you were talking about um, the, the the key battle in the match and how it's going to be in midfield, just Jorginho alone. Like if I was a manager, I'd be I'd literally have like one man on him all match long because he is literally like a supercomputer in that Chelsea midfield. He makes the decisions for all the players before they even get the ball. So the moment he gets onto the ball, like the pass he's going to make, it's already a decision for the player. Like he's he's literally just makes that team tick so well. And that, I think, as well, is even feeding into Mendy's form. So, yeah, I really don't know who's going to stop this Chelsea team because they feel like a bit of an unstoppable train at the moment. It's a great answer. Yeah, looking at some Jorginho stats. So he's, he, he in terms of passes attempted, um, he's in the 94th percentile in all top five leagues. Um, he averages about 76 passes a match. His pass completion rate is 90%, which is in the 92nd percentile, compared to all midfielders in the top five leagues in Europe. It's from fbref.com. Um, I'm sorry, Man United guys, who are, you know, maybe listening at home and, and, and watching this and even in the panel here, 
But I just don't see how a midfield, even a midfield three of Matic, who for me is he's 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 as slow as that kid uh, Charles Piper that I went to school with. He's even slower than Charles Piper. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's he's sort of over the hill a little bit as well. And um, uh, anyway, sorry, Charles Piper, um, you know, but it did take a while for him to answer stuff. Um, anyway, um, yeah, we've got more games to talk about. But before I do, do anyone, does anyone want to add anything? Chelsea, Man United? Because I just think Chelsea are going to win. Uh, Tom, do you, do you think uh, Man United, I mean, you've given us a lovely description of how they could win. Do you think United are going to get a result? Or are you going to say it's Chelsea all the way? No, no, no. I'm not. Re- realistically, going into these sort of games, you, I don't look at form. Because in these big games, this is where you've got your big moment players and it's who turns up on the day. Because ultimately, you've got players like you've said with Mendy, who's had a blinder all you know, season or whatever with this massive success rate. Man United could easily turn up there tomorrow, you know, on, well, it'll be Saturday, no, it'll be Sunday. Could easily turn up there on Sunday and, you know, have a blinder and the counter-attacks are going and everything. And might put a goal in. Or there might be something from a set-piece that, ultimately just captures the goalkeeper out. You never know, or oh, there's a penalty or something. There's a bit of controversy with VAR. You never you never know in these type of games. So in terms of form and stuff, I don't really look at it from the perspective of oh Chelsea are going to come in and steamroll you because I got told we got told this as Man United fans that Villarreal were going to do that. And it was a completely different game. And I know you can't compare Villarreal and Chelsea. But in the context of it all, Chelsea in a way, in my opinion the Jew a they do a bad performance at some point, if, if, if people understand what I mean by that. They're on this brilliant run. Everybody has it. They have a brilliant run, and there's always just a blip that comes in the road. Whether that's going to be us, I don't know. But because Thomas Tuchel had predicted two, three weeks ago that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as teams being charged, not Michael Carrick's. And that, that inhibits the unpredictability of it all. I think that that is, in a way, a decent trait to have going into these sort of games. Do I think we're going to win? No. I'll be very, I'll be very blunt and honest. I don't think we're going to win. But if we go there and at least put on a performance, or at least try, I, would, I, want, to see, I want to see people running around the field. I want to see a bit of character, a bit of enthusiasm from the players. After, after that double Watford performance, the last Premier League game, I want to see something a lot, lot different to that, if anybody understands what I mean by that. But. But listen, yeah. if we went if we went there and I think a decent result, realistically, where we've got the transition with a new manager coming in and for the Arsenal game and stuff with Ragnick, get a draw or something. It builds to go away to you know a team like Chelsea who are on this blinder of a run and get at least a point. I don't think that's honestly inevitably a bad thing in the in the long and the grand scheme of things because it will give the players confidence that. Listen, even though we've had the you know really bad run of performances where we've been, you know, blown away by City's you know pre, you know passing game, Liverpool's pressing game we couldn't keep up with it, and we got spanked five 0 Exactly the same with you know Leicester where we couldn't keep up to pace with the game. If you can go into that game against Chelsea, we a bit of, come out of it with a bit of confidence, a point. I think a lot of people will be happy with that, and as a fan, I would be happy with that. If, even if we don't. I, I just want to see a performance from this team. I want to see a reaction from the players. If that makes sense in terms of the Premier League. Great, great answer. Absolutely fabulous answer. Uh, Reese. what about you? I mean, how are you feeling about this uh, in terms of result? 
Um, in, in all honesty, I'm going for a score draw. I think it will finish one-one. I don't think, I don't think either team will play to lose, but I think United will play. I think Carrick will have a setup the same way as we did against Villarreal: tight, defensive, compact. Try to play the ball as much as we can, create some space, and hopefully get at get the opposition defence. But I just think the way Chelsea are coached is not going to be as straightforward as that. They're coached very well, defensively strong. Whether it be a three-four-three or a three-five-two, it's always the same fundamentals. It's always the same way. It's just the difference is there's just one more player in a different position, five man midfield, like five players behind a two-man top or four behind a front three. It's, it's it's relatively the same. It's no real change. I just think how United approach the game is going to be crucial. I was on uh, Josh's channel pre- like before previewing the game, and I said I honestly don't care what the performance is. I don't. I don't. I don't care. I just right now I'm just more interested in the result. But if we have a very good performance, and say we have a very good performance and we get beat, it will be a bit painful. Obviously, watch the club, like watch the like the players and all that walk off after getting beat. But if it's like a one 0 defeat, but a good performance or two one, and we played really well, then. I won't necessarily be disappointed because I'll be like, well, at least they've actually put a shift in. They've actually tried to turn things around after, like Tom said, spot on, like the way we played against Watford, for example, it was disgusting. That's like everyone that played that day, in my opinion, was a sackable offence, except Van de Beek. Like, and it just sums up really like how important it is. Like, doesn't matter like, what club you play for, like you have to understand who you play for. And if you're playing for Man United, you're playing for my football's biggest clubs. You should understand what that means. If you don't, then you shouldn't be there in the first place. So, I think we will get a draw. I think Mendy will. I think he's will have a still good game. He's a fantastic goalkeeper. I think it, it'll just be like a lucky goal that goes past him, but it'll be like a lucky goal caused by Ronaldo that will go in. They'll just look great. Hmm. It just depends on what happens. I don't. I don't think we're going to lose. But I don't think Chelsea are going to win. But I do understand that that Chelsea can beat us because they are a better. They are a better team than us. But. I just look at how we played against Villarreal for the first 62 minutes. It was compact, defensively smart, how he got us up. And then for the last 28 minutes, we kicked into overdrive and Villarreal couldn't handle us. So it could end up being like that. Who knows? But I'm going for a score draw. Yeah, very interesting answer. Yeah, we'll see what happens with, with with it. I mean, it's a really intriguing fixture. And I think the team talk is is really an easy one. You know, it's like it's the end of this chapter. Let's end this chapter with a really cracking result. And, uh, you know, I imagine the Man United players will be really up for it. Um, I do think it would be difficult, though, but uh, because of, you know, Chelsea. I mean, they've only faced 34 shots, but he's saved 31 of them. Um, One other, the next big match we're going to talk about on the weekend is Man City versus West Ham. And talk about shots faced, Okay, Chelsea are the second best in the league because they've only faced 34 shots all season in 12 matches. That's three shots a match, which is crazy small. Liverpool are third best in the league with 37 shots faced all season and uh, Manchester United have have faced 54. Uh, The worst in the league is Norwich City who have faced 66 shots. So um, Chelsea about half of that. Um, Manchester City Sorry, this is shots on target only. There's only shots on target per match. Sorry, I have to say that. Manchester City are way out ahead, Abdul, on on 19 shots on target faced. That's less than two a game. That's 1.7 a game or something like that. Shots on target per 90 minutes, Abdul. If you look at the stats, 
Man City should be walking away with this league, but they're they're behind, and I think they're behind for the same reason they've been they they've struggled at times in the past couple of seasons at times very rarely because they can't kick the ball in the net and there are these odd games where they just skew everything a bit like Chelsea versus uh, Burnley the other week do you reckon this is going to be one of those games against David Moyes and his plucky hammers could be um the 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 kind of style of play that West Ham have had under Moyes over the last you know, year and a bit, it's been pretty reminiscent of Liverpool, I would say. You know, you've got your counter-attacking kind of football type formation at the back. Um, really big performances from key players, Antonio, Declan Rice, Suchek, Kufal, well, not Kufal, but Ben Johnson recently, and, you know, Aaron Cresswell. Um, they're high-energy team. Um, they break on you really fast. So on paper, they, they feel like, a, you know, a nice antithesis to you know whatever Pep is trying to do with the Man City squad um once again though I, I mean I can't really see anything I genuinely hand on heart uh as the biggest Liverpool fan in the world I think Manchester City play the best football in this league um and yeah even, even better than Chelsea as well I know that they're, they're really good and I just think football teams uh and just like in life I think the best comparison is you know trying to be better than yourself like, there's no point really trying to compare Man City to, you know, Liverpool and Chelsea. Obviously, the league will do that itself. But I think City are just trying to work on themselves and trying to get to their absolute optimum best. And I don't think they're far away. And whenever they do hit it, I think every other team is just going to be blown away by their form. So just kind of waiting for them to hit that point of their season, basically. I, I, yeah, I do, I do agree with you, though. I, uh, I think no matter how intellectual or smart Pep thinks he is, sometimes you do just need a good striker up front just to put the ball in the net. So maybe he'll go for that next summer, but let's see what happens. Excellent answer. Excellent stuff. Um, Ozzy in the chat saying, if City concede early, then West Ham have a good chance. Uh, that's a really good point. Yeah, if they lose the first goal, maybe uh, early. Uh, uh, but uh, Alan's feeling less optimistic. He says City are going to hammer West Ham, which is a marvellous pun. Well done. Congratulations, Alan. Yeah, great. <laughs> Very good. They're going to hammer the hammers. Very good. What do you think, Tom? Is there, I mean, you know, is it going to be one of those days where City couldn't hit a barn door with a sledgehammer? Or uh, you know a cow's ass with a banjo or whatever, and um, what uh, what do you think, Tom? Well, I think um, I think a lot of people re realistically write West Ham off for what they have done realistically this season. I think they've already beaten City once in the League Cup, albeit on penalties. I think in the game they was well and truly in that game. They had the chances. So did City to to win the game. Obviously. Sorry to mind you, but obviously they beat, beat Liverpool. I, th I thought that was a brilliant, brilliant, in a way, a brilliant entity for the Premier League in terms of even at the you know pedigree. And like you say, you were on a decent reform at that time. And then there, there was all the talk of all Liverpool are coming to town, just going to steamroll over West Ham, move on to the next game. And ultimately, they came with a game plan which suited that style and that sort of tempo and dictated that sort of game. And ultimately, West Ham's game plan came out the better. But in, in terms of the, the game, obviously, against City, I mean, City obviously going to have most of the ball, which ideally probably plays into West Ham's hands anyway because they'd ideally want the opposition to have the other ball, drop back into their defensive shape, and then 
you play on the counter-attack, which David Moyes has done, you know, loads of times. Obviously, did it twice against Hughes for the, for the well, especially for the, uh, for the last goal that it's called for the third goal. But I, in an ideal world, Manchester City should easily win this game, probably 3-0. And that's probably what I'm going to go in for in the end. But I'm not going to... I, w- I wouldn't completely write off West Ham because in an ideal sense, West Ham has done that well in these sort of games where you count them as the underdogs. You you know, you, you, you know in a way, r- rule out the players that if you take certain players out of West Ham's team, like you mobilise Rice and Socek in the midfield, then there's nothing really to play out or pass out of, in a sense, for West Ham. But listen, if, if City don't turn up with the shooting boots, then West Ham can easily nick a goal and then that, I'm done with it in the game. But I'm going to go for a, a 3-0 Manchester City. I think I think they will turn up. I think they will have their, their A game, as uh, as many people always you know, pull out and everything. And, you know, the midweek result, obviously, against PSG, I think, you know, in terms of boosting morale, going back into the Premier League as well, where they're obviously not at the top of the table right now, depending on results elsewhere and stuff. But, no, I think um, I think City will have a... I think West Ham will give a good account for themselves, but I think City, and ultimately, and in the end, will, will just have too much for them. Super, super answer. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, you're saying three nil. I think maybe West Ham might score one, but I don't know. For me, they're they're looking a little bit tired. West Ham with their sort of European exploits. Uh, what do you think of this one, Reese? Um, I agree. Um, in terms of, I was listening to what you guys were saying, and I think you're spot on. In terms of like, it's not easy to write off West Ham. In terms of how well they've played maybe they don't get as much credit as they deserve but I just look at right now I, I agree with Abdul right now like in terms of playing better football like Chelsea play effective football with that killer instinct where they will get they get a one goal two goal and then that's it the game's done because they know how to defend really well they shut shop and that's it whereas City could the way they beat Liverpool for example they played the ball around them the wide players were just effective as hell Yes, Salah and all that had a good chance against Man City and all that, but I look at how Man City played in that game and in contrast how they played against Man United, for example, where they got the two goals and after that they just passed around Man United because they knew it was going to be a training game. It's Man City effectively can beat you in so many different ways, whereas I look at how it benefits them. West Ham, yeah, they did beat Man City on penalties, so that's true, but I look at that game and they were able to hold Man City's pressure really well. As a team, very strong, compact when you need to be their attack very well, I'll give them that. Like Antonio, for example, he's done fantastic. I think Europe's going to have an, eff- an effect on them, though. Like They did win 2-0 tonight in Vienna. Um, two first-half goals. Yarmolenko in the 39th minute, and then Mark Noble scored a penalty bang on half-time. So they fit- after that, I think they made the changes. Like They got those players rested. So Dave- David Moyes is clearly managing really well. I don't know how he's going to work in terms of knockout stages, but at the moment... I don't think it's too big a concern for him. They're managing really well in terms of the league in, in Europe. They've still got cup football as well. I think they're still in what... They've not been eliminated from the FA Cup. Either, so they're still at the moment in four competitions, which is which is crazy to say the West Ham are in four competitions. But David Moyes has done absolutely fantastic. And I still think Man City are going to win purely like the way like the way they play football. I think they could get one or two goals. And then after that, they can just steamroll it around West Ham, just play the ball around them, take the piss. Uh, and as a bit of a harsh thing to do, obviously, in terms of you want to have a good game of football, you don't want to see a better team mock the opposition, but 
when they're that good, it, you kind of expect it to be just like, well, we've already won the game. Let's just rinse the ball around them and have fun. Let's have a joke. I hope they do that though, so I can watch West Ham players give them an absolute kicking. It'd be great to see. It'd be great to watch the likes of Foden and like Foden and uh, Bernardo Silva and Riyad Mahrez, Ferran Torres. I like, try to act all big like after they've won the game, and the next thing you know, you got Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek who just comes in and kicks the kicks the living bells out of them. I would probably clap West Ham for that if they did, because I want to see I want to see a team properly kick them off the park. I, I clap violence. For- You're basically condoning violence. You think violence is a really good idea. <laughs> Well, not, fair enough. It solves everything. I mean, come it on. does. It's certainly. I totally agree. To be fair, I, to be fair, I clap. <laughs> I clap. Like, no disrespect, but I clap less talented French teams when they're kicking seven bells out of Neymar. I kick them. I absolutely applaud them for that because I'm like, if you can't, if you can't beat them on a technical level, get stuck in. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I bully think, him, rag him about a bit. Exactly, I, I hate it. I, hate, I, I hate you it. should just roll over, take your medicine. I would say. But uh, speaking of Declan Rice, Ozzy's put another great question in the in the chat. He says, "What's with all this Declan Rice hype, man?" Heard some people calling him the player of the season. It's absolute codswallop. Um, I'm going to share my screen for those people, uh, um, you know, who, who are watching on YouTube, and if you're uh, listening, I can just explain a little bit of what I'm what I'm sharing here. This is fbref.com. It's a wonderful site that I always re- reference. Oh, and I've gone and two no man. I've gone two no man say. That's what I've gone for. But I hope to nil. see West Ham kick the eleven bells at them because it'd be entertaining. <laughs> you can see here the percentile. This is comparing Declan Rice to all the midfielders around Europe. Um, you know, in the top five leagues, you name a midfielder in the top five league and this compares him to them. He's only at the 74th percentile in terms of attacking stats. We don't expect them to be very good because he's not mm-hmm. an attacker, but his pass completion rate is 88.4%, which is in the 85th percentile. That's very good. But in terms of passes attempted, 523 compared to Jorginho, who we saw before, he was on about 77, wasn't he? And then uh, pass completion percentage, 88.4% in the 85th fifth percentile it's not bad but it's not brilliant i mean sorry it's better than not bad it's very good it's very good but it's not outstanding progressive passes however he's only in the 35th percentile so you know it's what do they call him the barber it's just short back and sides all day that's what they call him it sounds (laughs) it sounds familiar it sounds familiar for a man for a man united player that's all i'm saying it sounds very, it sounds, it sounds very familiar. What is what is his percentile stats compared to say his partner Suchek? Uh yeah, what's, we can we can have a look it? at Suchek in a minute. I just want to see what he's yeah. bad at, which is basically yeah everything Defender. apart from progressive carries, passing completion. His interceptions are fantastic, Declan Rice, and we will say that about his game. He reads the game. He's, he's bad at dancing as well. That's another thing. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's also at... bad at he's also bad at singing, but we're not going to go there. Okay, well, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, he's probably bad at I don't oh, know, yeah, what, flipping pancakes. Who knows? But interceptions. Oh, he was... He's sorry. I was going to say, if you get a chance, it's on. It's um, somebody's probably clipped and put it on YouTube. Just type in "rice, rice baby." Honestly, oh, it's man, it's it's those singing spaces. It's those singing spaces on Twitter. Declan Rice <laughs> literally joined one and started singing "rice, rice baby." Just it was just so, it though as well. And the, it's and so bad. Yeah. The guy That's who hosts. Nice. I, I don't listen. I don't listen. Yes. I don't listen to them purely because of the guy who hosts them, like what he's been involved in. I don't particularly like, like I don't particularly trust him for the stuff he's posted, but apparently they're fun. I'm just not interested. 
I yeah, no, that sounds absolutely abominable. But so, thank you so, for the, so for the time tip. and watch the clips. Okay, <laughs> okay. Well, let's have it. Let's have a little compare to to so check uh, his partner's a really good idea. Uh, we've got him up on the screen now. He's in the ninety sixth percentile for goals. Uh, and NP non-penalty expected goals, uh, 0.23 per 90. So he's doing really well for that, um, way better. Uh, but in terms of uh, other touch, other things, he's doing. Ve- he's very poor at pass completion, uh, relatively compared to other midfielders. 80.3%, which is only the 27th percentile. So Socek will give the ball away, which will be very dangerous against uh, Man City. Um, his dribbles, he doesn't bother dribbling. Progressive carries, only the 20th percentile. Touches in the attacking penalty box, 92nd percentile. So he does loads of those, 2.6 per match. And in terms of clearances and aerials one, he is up there with the best in Europe, 99th percentile. You can't get any higher than that. It doesn't go to 100. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and in terms of pressures, pressing, well, they don't press, do they, West Ham? Is the new He's the new Fellaini, basically, then, into really. He's the new Fellaini, yeah. He's the sort of super, the uber Fellaini, because he actually gets more goals and stuff like that. But uh, there you go. Typical Moisey kind of signing. Very good. Um, and as he's saying in the chat, I'll rate him if he takes Bernardo out. So he's talking about... <laughs> there you go. And more violence. You see, Reese. You start, talking about, start condoning violence. Everyone jumps on the bandwagon. Go on. Yeah, go on. Sorry. I'm consistent. I'm consistent when it comes to Declan Rice. I actually don't think much of him. I know people think he's a good player. I, I'm just not overly keen on him. And even if he came to Man United, obviously I would want him to play well. I'm just, I've just never been keen on him at all. I, I think, I think you're right. He's, he does read the game well, as as we said. Yeah, interceptions very good. But uh, yeah, he's 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 overrated. He's got that English thing of being overrated. All right, I was should just going to go. For... Should have stuck to Ireland, and maybe he would have been rated better. But who knows? Well, yeah, not by the English press. Good grief. The, the other big match, uh, Liverpool-Southampton. Of course, it's a big match for us, for me and Abdul. There you go. I've got a few stats here. Oh, sorry. I had a few stats as well for Man City-West Ham. Um, Man City have won nine of their last 10 Premier League games against West Ham under Pep, scoring 28 goals and conceding just five um, so I really don't give them a hope, uh, unfortunately, even though they won the League Cup match, of course, with a nil-nil draw and then on penalties. They might get a draw, maybe, hopefully. Um, but Liverpool have won seven of their last eight games against Southampton. Um, so with the exception being a one-nil away loss in January last season, uh, and Liverpool just keeps scoring. Uh, I don't know, you, you might not know this, uh, the Manchester United uh, guys and this... Uh, on this panel, but um, the other day, Liverpool, um, you have to help me get this right, Abdul. Was it um, they've scored, we've scored, we've scored at least two goals in the last 25 matches, was it? And it's Is the it? first time, I think it's 25 matches in a row that we've scored at least two goals. And that hasn't been done since Wolverhampton Wanderers in 1939. So mm. for 82 years. And this is the thing, this Liverpool team, I mean, yes, we lost to West Ham. Thanks for reminding me, Tom. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's still a great team. We're, we've won 11, drawn three and lost one. No, excuse me. We've won 12, drawn three and lost one of our last 16 games. Um, Tom, how good are Liverpool from the outside? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean they're, they're very good, obviously, in terms of the on-the-field stuff and everything, but it, it, I think it remains to be seen because you always have these, you know, brilliant performances and then it's kind of getting the runner games to go into, into folding together where you don't have these blips and these humps in the road like you did with West Ham and stuff. But with, with, with the Southampton game, I'm not really that overly, you know, confident with Southampton anyway. You know, they've obviously done... They've been okay. You know, they're never reaching the heights of where they probably should be in the recent years and seasons where it was all about getting to the European places and stuff. But they've never, never ever lived up to that. But they've never been, they've never dropped as low as being in a relegation fight either. They're always dropping around the mid table places anyway. But I, I would probably go for a bog standard 2 0. You know, simple job done, clean sheet, and just move on to the next game for you guys. Yeah, great stuff. I know you got to you got to chip off uh, now, Tom. Yeah, so yeah. thank you so much for joining us. That's absolutely wonderful stuff. Thank you very much, um, Abdul. Um, moving on to Liverpool Southampton. Tom has generously gone for a two 0 Liverpool win. Can you see? It? I mean, I'm much more relaxed about this one than I was against West Ham. I was bricking it against West Ham. How are you feeling about this one? Yeah, definitely. We should we should walk it. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Saying that, I do remember the last time we played West Ham wasn't a at full time. We we lost, didn't we? And Hassan Hootsu was literally last time. Knee. Yeah, Southampton. Yeah, you said West Ham, but yeah, Southampton. Oh, last sorry. time we played Southampton. West, yeah. Southampton. Um, the one 0 away loss in January. Yes. And yeah, Hassan Hootsu fell to his knees, tears in his eyes, yeah. looking like he, uh, I don't know, he would won the World Cup or something. It's like mental. <laughs> So um, I feel like he really likes beating Liverpool. He, he really wants to get a result against Liverpool, maybe because he feels like Klopp is like, you know, the archetype for him or, you know, pressing football, the similar styles of football at both clubs. I don't know what, but um, yeah, I, I don't I don't feel too relaxed about it because I feel like maybe he's been working on something in the lab for like months on end, like how to beat Liverpool dossier. Like, So maybe maybe it might be a tricky one, but in all honesty, we should we should we should definitely have a like two to three no win um yeah that's that's pretty much it i mean in terms of the game what i want to see i just uh uh i want to see a bit of rotation again uh put our strongest team back out but maybe maybe give one or two positions to you know rigi or maybe minamino maybe give sadio or salah a rest probably not salah he'll he'll kill somebody before he's ever dropped from the team (laughs) <laughs> but um, yeah, I'd like to see something interesting in a starting lineup. That'd be cool. Yeah, great, great answer, excellent stuff. Uh, yeah, Liverpool have scored more goals than any any other side in the Premier League, thirty five goals, while only Norwich have scored fewer than Southampton. Norwich have only scored seven goals this season. God, imagine being a Norwich fan, poor guys. And and Southampton have only scored eleven in twelve matches. They're not great to watch, are they? We should this uh, you know be it should be a a home banker for your pools coupon I quite like watching Southampton funnily enough um, I do like Hassan Hutto as a manager I think considering what he's had to work with relatively not backed by a considerably rich owner as well um, they haven't backed him enough and he's had to just make do with what he's got but I still think as good as his teams are and the way he played against the approach against Man City and Man United, for example, they were good approaches, got them deserved results, four points from a possible six, I believe, um, a draw against Man United and they beat uh, City 1-0. They clearly know how to play against the big teams and play them really well. I just look at Klopp and Hasno, for example, similar styles of football. It's the same way. It's a gig and press, but 
how Klopp's taken it to a different level was why he's been successful at Liverpool. I just think the quality as well, all due respect to Southampton, I just think the quality as well is going to prevail. And in that respect, I still I do think, as much as I would like Southampton to get a result, um, I don't think they will. I think Liverpool will win this game. I'm going 2-0 as well, same as Tom. I don't think Salah will score, though. I think I'm going a little bit controversial. I don't think Salah will score in this game. I actually think, funnily enough, um, I think if Firmino, if Firmino plays, I think he'll get an assist or two. Um, he's likely to be out, though. He's, I think he's ah, still recovering from th- a hamstring. Stick it on Origi then, just kidding. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on a bit of a wild side. I'm gonna go um, Trent Alexander Arnold to score two free kicks in this game. I think it'll be a set. I don't think it'll be open play you score against. I think it'll be set pieces. I think Southampton, particularly, I think they will be quite strong, resolute. You'll have to break them down one way. I think it will come down to a set piece. Well, very interesting stuff, yeah. I mean, uh, it'll be Kyle Walker-Peters, um, who I think is very good going forward. He played left-back uh, last time he, uh, for Southampton against um, Norwich, and Livermento um, mm-hmm. was at right-back. He's an excellent young player, but I just fancy Salah and Mane against anyone. You would expect like, them to, yeah. You and would I, expect and I, I don't see how... Walker Peters with all his his excellence on the ball, he's really good. He's he's a tidy player. Walker Peters, a little bit underrated, but defensively, mm-hmm. he could be a little bit dodgy sometimes. I think, but uh, I think it just comes yeah. down to how they play. I think I think it just comes to how they play in the day. Like we all know, like Liverpool are very good side to watch, but not will being said, they do have their weaknesses as well. And Southampton are a team that are good at exploiting weaknesses. They exploited United comfortably. They exploited cities easily. Break cities press, dominate and get a low block in there. City can't. City just struggle to break that down. Um, yep. When when they're when they're tested, they just can't do it. I think it's sort of the same for Liverpool. But in terms of Liverpool, it's not about breaking Liverpool's press. It's about breaking the connection between the midfield and the front three. If you can break one, I think if you were to break the connection of say Fabinho to Salah or Mane I think Southampton have got a good choice or uh, a chance if they were to break the connection of Thiago who's coming in a good form at the minute neutralise him in the midfield it's going to have to force somebody else to play a, a passing role I think that's basically the only way Southampton have got it because Southampton can do the damage if they want to but I think you have to find a way to break that connection I think that's the only way they'll get a result in that regard sorry I just want to say I think Oxley chamberlain might actually have a really big performance and yeah Ossie just drops into the chat mm. there um yeah I Could think be. he's he's been he's caught a nice bit of form um but he hasn't got a goal yet and I don't think he's got an assist either so I think he wants to prove himself because all of our midfielders right now are scoring Cater comes in he's scoring Henderson scoring on international duty Tiago's we haven't even talked about it yet Owen like what's going on as a host you should that should have been the first thing out of your mouth well Tiago's hang on goal, I night. was considering um, Thiago's uh, goal as possibly the second best thing that happened in last night's match after James Milner's yellow card in the <laughs> 92nd minute. The fact that we were 2 0 up and uh, that there was no, and he stopped them taking a quick free kick in <laughs> yeah. the 92nd minute and got a booking. I thought that was hilarious. But no, Thiago, yeah, I can watch that goal forever, especially the angle behind his right foot, the way he chops down on the ball. Oh. And it's it's weird because it's got backspin on it, but it's also topspin because it hits the turf, it grazes, it kisses the top of the blades of grass, and it speeds up 
as it curls into the bottom corner. It's absolutely joyous. Have you seen it, Reese? Or you don't, you know, you want to just block all Liverpool content forever? <laughs> I have seen I have seen the goal purely because I was like the highlights of like they, they they popped up after I watched the Milan game. So like they, they popped up highlights. So I think the best I think the you say like Milner's yellow card was the best thing last night for me it was after the Milan game when you just see Alexis Salamaker with the most unreal sense of dribbling like right past the athletical players I'm like that's the highlight of the night by far it's just unique and I'm like but I seen Thiago's goal Thiago's a, Thiago's a player that I actually do I really do like Thiago I was a bit annoyed that we didn't sign him he hasn't had a particularly good season last year he was hitting missed performances injuries he was, wasn't Thiago that I particularly enjoyed watching at Bayern and Barcelona but he's settled in really well at Liverpool now and the performances are proven that. Crap. Think, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, just, still, yeah. on, on Thiago's goal, it was quite literally the definition of screamer. Like I, everybody says, oh, it's a screamer, it's a screamer. But when you watch mm-hmm. that angle, the one that Owen's talking about, where like it's coming up from behind and you watch it in slow motion, like you physically cannot restrain yourself from just going, oh! <laughs> like that is how good it was watching it live. I was literally just completely blown away and um yeah i think michael owen on the bt sports post match was just just speaking so much sense about it but just yeah he's such a player's player like if you play football and then you watch tiago like you know tiago just knows football like and yeah michael so owen talking sense where have i heard that before <laughs> i think well, he does once. sometimes he does sometimes he d- yeah he's I, good. I think he's the best uh-huh. but He's a strange human. He's a, he's a strange human being. So is McManaman, but we won't get into that. Yeah, uh, no, I was, was yeah, going to bring up McManaman. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't agree with anything he's ever. Said, I don't think. But anyway, yeah. um, yeah, go back to the question from Ozzy in the chat. Yeah, about Oxley Chamberlain. I think his problem is his only problem, even though his recent performances have been great. Cricket. And um. No, he gives the ball away. He gives the ball away too much. He he gave the ball away nine times in the first half of one recent match. It might have been against West Ham. Nine times in one half, which for a midfield player is really poor. I mean, he's coming into form and he. I, I expect those things. The more he plays, the better he'll get. But uh, Chamberlain has been good, very encouraging. Um, and I'd, I'd be very happy to see him start. But... If all of our midfielders are fit, then I think you have to go uh, Fabinho, um, Henderson and Thiago as my midfield three. Um, what would you pick, Abdul? In, what team would you pick? Costas at left back? What are you doing in midfield? What, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think at the moment Costas is the left back. But to be fair, Robertson's back fit and he had a nice little cameo yesterday. So maybe... He'll start because Costas has played two matches in a row. No point really risking him for the third when you've got Robbo there looking to get minutes. Um, yeah, Virgil will come back in. It will be between Matip and Konate. I expect probably Konate will start just because Matip's done two games in a row. Trent will come back in. Alisson will be there. Midfield three, Fabinho, Thiago, and I think probably Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, not because Henderson isn't fit anymore, but I genuinely think Oxley chamberlain um, yeah, he does give the ball away. Uh, and that's the most frustrating thing about him. But I think his defensive work, he's shown in the last um, few matches that he has this recovery pace going back. Um, and I don't think Henderson has that at the moment. So I think that might factor into Koch's decision-making, like, you know, uh, Oxley gives us a bit going backwards. And I think he actually potentially gives a bit more going forward than Henderson. So I, 
funnily enough, I think it's scary times for Henderson. I know, you know, got to respect him and all that. But when Naby Keita comes back and if Oxlade, you know, stays injury free, I, I think we might finally we might finally see Henderson drop to the bench for a long time. So wow. scary, scary times. Yeah, let's yeah. see. Interesting, interesting. I would I would I would play Robertson at left back. Uh yeah, I would. I agree with you there. But yeah, my midfield three, I'd still bring I still bring Henderson there for his for the way that he keeps the game ticking over. But yeah, the counter press is the is the thing. And I think that's where we're gonna end is the counter press. And just one final question for you, Reese, because I did recent uh, recently I counted when we against Atletico Madrid when Liverpool played them. Um, because the game was effectively won and done and dusted. I think we were 2-0 up after 60 minutes, but it was one of those games that they were down to 10 men by that point, and it was over. And I counted, even though, yes, they had 10 men, how many times, how many passes Atletico were allowed to make when we lost the ball. Um, it, they Most of the time it was one. They were allowed one pass and then we won the ball back, whether that pass was short, medium or long. Our counter-pressing has, has become... I mean, Ralph Rangnick is famous for saying that the idea of gegenpressing is to that you win the ball back within eight seconds. That was the his marker that he laid down. Liverpool are doing it within like two seconds uh, sometimes, some games. And it's unbelievable to see the work that midf our midfield does to and that allow that to happen. So the final question for you, Reese, is under Rangnick, when, when he does come in, we're just going to assume that he's going to be announced at any moment. Um, can you, like, how far away are you from from getting that level of press into your game? I mean, is it a question that you're just going to have to buy completely new players to do it? Or have you already got, you know, the majority of the squad to be able to do that kind of thing? It's a good question. Um, I'll be honest, I'm not sure, because I think you look at the, the whole pressing style that he implements, and I think you've got to really look at how Tuchel's come in. Didn't take him particularly long, but then again, the players have to buy in. They were already playing a back three system at the time. He just had to work with them in the sense of like we're just going to be more aggressive with pressing the ball. Klopp saw it the same way. Brendan Rodgers was playing, I think, a 4-2-3-1 at the time. Klopp, his first season, I'm pretty sure he did the exact same. He just kept the same system. The only thing he did was he made them more aggressive. You saw it in his first game against Tottenham. I believe it was a 1-1 was draw, his first game against Tottenham. But you saw just how knackered they were after, what was it, two or three training sessions because... Jurgen expected them to be at this at this level of style, and he has he had to implement it as soon as possible because just how much it drains from you if you if you don't adapt at this style of play, you're screwed. You're, you're, if you do not adapt, you're screwed. And he saw that, and obviously he ironed out those who weren't good enough. Funnily enough, as a quote by Michael Owen, but it's a spot on one: is you got to iron out the weak by playing your system. Doesn't matter how you do it; you just got to keep playing and playing and playing. Don't don't settle your standards for anybody else. I think how Ragnar wants to play football. I think if Ragnar comes in. Say, for example, Monday after the Chelsea game comes in on Monday, as an example, he's got a full week before, well, he's got what, three or four days before Arsenal, we play Arsenal on Thursday. I think, give him that opportunity. I think he may have to do a double session, I don't know. But I think, depending on how the game goes, it may not be immediate, but I think you would see, you would start to see that style of play being implemented. I don't think it'll be as immediate as Jurgen Klopp in terms of it only took him a couple of training sessions, but I think you would see within like the couple of games, for example, you would see United start to play that style and be effective with it, purely because like, they've got somebody who knows the system really well. 
he knows how to implement it. And like you said, eight seconds when the ball back aggressive high line defending. And then after that, it's attack within 10 seconds. Like, is that crucial? I think the fact that Liverpool have been able to do it within at times two seconds just shows how fully competent your players are in this style of play. I think it's just it's pure assimilation now, the fact that it's that quick. I think once United are able to get into that, it could be, it'll be second nature as well. It's not going to be as immediate as Liverpool, but I would say within two or three games, you would you would definitely see a change in United's style of play. I'd say a couple of games. Interesting, interesting stuff. Well, it's been great. I mean, I could I could carry on talking to you guys forever, uh, but uh, unfortunately, time is pressing. Time is moving on. I need to go outside for a walk. I haven't been outside and done the exercise. I've just been a sort of slob all day. But I did have a Chinese class. It was particularly difficult. Anyway, I'm digressing. Abdul, do you have anything you would like to plug, sir? Would you like to talk about watch underscore LFC, which everyone should check out on Twitter? Yeah, just give us a follow. I think we're the best account in the game. Might not have the followers of uh, some of the other biggest accounts, but I think we keep it real. So, yeah, follow watch watch underscore LFC. I would uh, almost entirely agree with you, but uh, Cop On Podcast is where it's really at. Uh, But then we are all... Um, what can I say? Uh, we all believe in what we do, and that's a marvellous thing. Reese, tell, tell our listeners and viewers what you do, please, sir. Um, so I do multiple things. So I host on the weekly Armchair Sports Talk um, podcasting. A uh, couple of shows on there, like every week, like two shows a week I do, like from the channel. Uh, I do Twitch streaming as well, like as a gamer. Um, Reese underscore line in 1997. And other than that, you can find me, like, Several other channels like Doug's channel on a Monday night, World of Football podcast at seven o'clock. Just r- riskly wherever devil's rising is, that's where that's where you can find me. Really, and I just I just love football to death. So anything football related, I'm involved in, but it's mostly centered around certain content like Italian football, German, Man United, and a few other things. But I'm always up for a civilized conversation if it means t- sticking a dig into Man City, Liverpool, and Leeds. <laughs> excellent stuff well well done well done Reese. been a joy speaking to you thank you for coming back on thank and uh, abdul as well it's been absolutely fabulous to have you with us Cheers. and to hear your views has been a joy um enjoy the premier league everybody uh if you're listening to this um get get over to calidesigns.co.uk if you're looking for a christmas present use cop on 10 as your discount code to get 10% off with some really absolutely sensational work going on there. And uh, yeah, take care, guys. I'll speak to you soon. And thanks in the chat as well to Aussie. All the best. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys.